Welcome to Smart Businesses Do This. Um, I'm super excited to have you guys here, especially because the gentleman that's sitting with me is not only a good friend, but he's someone who is incredible at building businesses that build off of referrals, where you actually turn one sale into multiple sales and multiple sales. And he's done this so many times, he has systems for it. So I'm super excited for Dustin to be sharing this with you guys today. You are listening to Smart Businesses Do This, the podcast show for freelancers, side hustlers, and upcoming small business owners who want to transform their current business or business idea into a company that is built to succeed, simple to run, and gives you the freedom to live your life on your own terms. I'm your host, Adam Lyons. Let's get started. And uh, as always, uh, this episode is sponsored by upsells.com, which is a done-for-you marketing offer creation email sales channel that does all your sales for you, increases your revenue, and you don't have to pay a percentage of the profit. So with that being said, how did you first realize you needed to do referral sales? Well, for me, it's, a, it, it's interesting because we're in a bit of a you know, niche market, more of a boutique builder where we're doing a lot of high-end stuff for real high-end clients. So we're not selling small ticket items. The majority of our projects range anywhere from half a million dollars all the way up to $20 million. So you don't get a you know, 15, $20 million estate project because somebody stumbled across you on Facebook and decides they want you to build their house. So for me, uh, and the, the other thing that I should add in is for me, what became very attractive as I started to get into this business was the relationships that I built. And so the relationships are ultimately what I enjoy, what I strive to create versus so much the project itself. And that's what drives the referrals, right? There's these real, true, authentic relationships and friendships. Love that. Did you know you were going to launch your business with referrals or did you initially think Facebook ads is the way to go or something else? Well, it was much simpler than that. When I started, I was working for other, you know, another builder at the time. And I was looking at him thinking, this guy's an idiot. I can do this way better. You know, I'm, I'm much smarter than he is. And this is a piece of cake. So I assumed, God, there's so much work out there. Work's falling in his lap. All I need to do is get my license, put a sticker on my truck and, you know, it's game on. Right. And I quickly realized that that's not the case, right? Starting a business is very difficult. So, uh, what I came to understand is I didn't have a whole bunch of money to throw at advertising. And again, I was also convinced in my own mind that putting money into different types of marketing wasn't going to be super effective for what I was doing. So I realized that every time I had the opportunity to have a job, the importance of that relationship was you know, far greater than the dollar that I was going to earn for that project. I love that. So I know that recently you moved from California to Texas, and we spoke as before, that when you first moved to Austin, you knew building up a new referral network was going to be the most important thing you can do. How did you solve that? How did you get over that when you first came back? So I, I came out here to look around in Austin and the construction market was booming. And so uh, I had a very successful company in Northern California, ended up selling out to my, my former partner. And I got out here and uh, same thing. I thought, you know, there's, there's an overabundance of work, not enough builders, so this should be fairly easy. But what I really took for granted was my network, right? And my referral base, my relationships. And so I, I had to pivot out here and start thinking about how am I gonna get myself out there and start meeting people to build these relationships. And social media has been a bit, big uh, avenue for me on that. And then putting myself out there actually and just going to events, meeting people, car shows, uh, all kinds of different events and things where I'm gonna be around either potential clients or somebody that could become a potentially good friend that could be a good resource for me on the referral side. I love that strategy. And for anyone who wants really high-end clients, 
I'm telling you, this is the way to do it, is think about people that have the money that you're trying to target. So if you know you want to hang out with billionaires or you want to hang out with seven-figure business owners, whatever it is, think, what do they spend their money on for fun? Because obviously they buy houses and they invest. That's not fun. What do they do for fun? Oftentimes, it's going to be exotic cars, golf, boats. It's going to be uh, race cars uh, going to like the F1 track. It's going to be these very uh, high revenue things that take a lot of money. That is something that everybody wants to waste their money on, but typically wouldn't. And ask yourself, how can you get involved in that hobby for a fraction of the cost? What is the smart way to get into it? And often that's just a Google. Like sometimes you can just Google what's the best way to do this. Um, I know I have a buddy that knows how to fix race cars and his way in to multi-millionaires is that he can get them behind the scenes on popular racetracks. So anyone can buy a ticket in the VIP, but to go behind the scenes, go down in the pit and actually watch them change tires during the track, now that's something you have to be a mechanic or a friend of a mechanic to be able to do. So that was a great way that he leveraged that to meet business owners. So I really want you thinking like, what could I be doing? Likewise at golf, maybe you can't join a club, but you could do a one-off charity event, or maybe you could uh, find somebody to sponsor you to join a club in return for you generating them leads for their business. And they pay your fee and you just make sure that you talk about their business and go from there. So there are lots of creative ways to get into those kind of groups. Uh, what I love is I know that uh, Dustin actually does a bunch of those. So do you have a boat? You, you got the nice car? Yeah. Yeah. So actually I was talking to a, uh, another friend and biz business coach and we were talking about how to meet clients and like Adam's talking about how to build real authentic relationships. And uh, he said, go buy a supercar. And I thought you're absolutely out of your mind. So I started thinking about it and I got home and I told my wife and she said, I think you're out of your mind. And then she said, you know, actually it kind of makes sense. So I did. So we went out and bought a uh, car and I started going to all the different car events. Well, I bought the car six, seven months ago and I just closed my second job from people that I met with that car at car events. And there, it, it's not because I go to these events and I talk about what I do. The interesting thing is, is I never talk about what I do. I build these real, true, authentic relationships with people intentionally, but without the intention of wanting something in return for them. And in, in turn, what happens naturally is somebody goes, what do you do? Oh, I'm a builder. Well, what kind of stuff do you do? I do like high end luxury home stuff. Oh, that's interesting. And then sure enough, one thing leads to another. And uh, that's just expanding your network through doing things that truly pull at people's heartstrings so that they enjoy doing, right? It's separated outside of business. And, and an exotic supercar is far more affordable than any of you think. And I, I do want to explain this because this is a tactic that I've used before. Every supercar I've ever bought has paid for itself. I've had two Maseratis. We have a Porsche. Um, I've, I've got a Shelby Cobra on the way, which I'm super excited about. Um, yeah, yeah, I can't, I can't wait. Um, and, you know, the, the Shelby Cobra is half a million dollars. Uh, the Maseratis were, you know, 180, not the most expensive, um, but still very expensive compared to a Mazda. And, um, but every single car paid for themselves and they paid for themselves in clients, not by renting out the car, but by turning up with the right car at the right event, having somebody who likes Maseratis come up to me and talk to me about Italian cars. And before you know it, they want to be my friend. And then just like you said, they'll say, hey, so what do you do? And that turns into a sale. So just to give you an idea, I've never seen an exotic car that is really impressive that can't be bought for about two grand a month. 
Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying there aren't people charging more than that. I'm not saying that you can't find a car that costs more than that. I'm saying that two grand a month will probably buy you almost any range of exotic car you want, from a Lamborghini to a Ferrari to, to you know, an Audi R8. You, you can find it for that kind of fee. And then you just have to ask yourself, at $2,000 a month, let's say your regular car payment is, I don't want to lock everyone out. Let's say your regular car payment is 300 bucks a month, which I think is what the average car payment is or car lease. Um, that means- In 1986. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, had a buddy that, I had a buddy that's paying 300 on Mazda. So I'm assuming most people are, uh, are at that level. But, but let's, just, let's just say it's 300. Let's just say you've got the best deal in the world. The difference is 1700. You only have to make $1,700 worth of sales from the new network that your exotic car opens you up to. So think about car shows. Think about going out for a night on the town and going to that exclusive club where everyone has to have lots of money to go there. Think about um, going to charity events. Think about going to racetracks. You turn up in a really nice car and people are gonna talk about you. Um, I remember I went into a, a, a business negotiation for a $30 million company. And I pulled up in a t-shirt, sweatpants, sneakers, uh, a hoodie, and I parked my Maserati outside. And I noticed that every other car in the parking lot was a Lexus or lower. And this wasn't a bragging moment. This was a tactical moment. I realized that nobody in the room had the confidence to buy themselves a car that was more expensive than a Lexus. When I went in, I put my headphones on and I walked in the room listening to music. Um, they offered me a water, I took it. I smiled at everyone, said, hey, and just kind of ignored everyone while we were in the waiting room waiting to go in the conference room. We go in the conference room, put my headphones down, I sat down and the person I was negotiating with, who was the broker, he looked at me and said, you have the Maserati? And I said, I have the Maserati. And he goes, you can always tell when somebody has actual money because they don't care what anyone else thinks. I said, I, I appreciate the compliment, but I, I will tell you, I truly do care what other people think. I'm here to do a fair deal. It's really important to me that I don't screw anyone else over, and it's important that they don't screw me over. The reality is $30 million is not a lot of money, but it is a lot of money for a company that isn't worth $30 million. I'm here today to work out whether the thing that you're offering is worth the value of the price tag you've put on it. That's the only reason I'm here. If this company is worth $30 million, we will pay $30 million. If the company is not worth $30 million, the only thing I request is you don't try and insult me by trying to make me pay more. And likewise, I won't be uh, insulting to you and try and drive the price down just for no reason. Can we all agree that our goal here is just to work out the actual fair value of the company? And everyone's like, yeah, we really like that. It made everyone instantly love me and they instantly knew I had $30 million. And that was a key component of that negotiation that took it from 30 million to 12 million which is what the final price was by the time we finished. But we would never have made that move if one, they suspected I didn't have the money. And that's a very common negotiation tactic, right? You don't even have the money. That's why you're negotiating down. So you wanna look like money when you go into that room. But it's exactly the same when you go to a car show. You turn up with a nice exotic car, you don't need to be walking around selling your services. You just walk around and appreciate nice cars. And it's not about the people that come to your car. It's about the people whose car you go to admire and you casually drop that you have a car in the show as well, but your car isn't very special. So they say to you, what do you mean that car isn't very special? Yeah, I have, it's not that great. I just didn't want to turn up in my pickup truck, you know? And they laugh and they go, well, I'd like to see your car. You go, cool. And then you walk them over to a car, it's clearly better than this. And they go, hey, you said your car wasn't better than mine. I was like, are you kidding me? This is a, 
off the rack stock model. Yours is classy and you clean it. I don't even, I take it to the car wash. Like I do not, you put love and care into yours. I'm telling you, that's valuable. But again, that instant reversal of, I actually have all the money to act like I have none is the power. And that's like the optimum, optimum, optimum play. So yeah, I, I, I love that. I think, you know, you're using those strategies. Do you have a boat that you take out onto the lake to hang out with everyone that can afford a home on the lake and has a boat on the lake? Um, so did you live on the lake at the moment? No, we're actually uh, north of Liberty Hill. Okay, so what I love about this is you can take a boat to the lake where all the very wealthy people hang out and for the fraction of the cost of a house, you can buy that boat. And everyone will tell you, you know, a boat's a waste of money. It's a sinkhole for cash. But the reality is it's a business card that gets you in to the invitation for the most exclusive party in town. The one that is only attended by the super rich and of course the people that can afford it custom design home. Yeah, I think it's also important too that uh, the boat is a big family tool for us. And I think when you're dealing with business at the level that I'm dealing with, uh, a lot of people look at your personal life as you know, a trust factor, right? And it's hard not to trust somebody where their family's number one, right? Their wife, their kids are always top priority. It's, it's instantaneous trust and bond with that person. Now, I love that. Now, um, I mentioned a few things. I mentioned the supercar, I mentioned the boat, and I also mentioned going and hanging out at things like race car events. And the reason I did that was on purpose because you're heavily into race cars. Yeah, so my uh, 14-year-old son, Blaine, he's been racing since he was four years old. So we've been at this for a bit. Spent a lot of time at racetracks. Uh, he runs full-size sprint cars now, which you got to go see uh, not too long ago. Uh, but it takes up a big, you know, a big portion of our life, uh, time-wise and financially. It's a, you know, it's a full commitment. But the time that's spent together as a family is invaluable. Yeah, and, and I've learned going to sprint races, which uh, you know Dustin just mentioned. When I went to a sprint race, I upgraded to VIP, which is very expensive. It was a hundred dollars. And I think my favorite moment is it was myself my fiance and two children who did not have to pay for the upgrade because they didn't know how to charge for children in the VIP because no one had ever bought a VIP ticket before apparently. So when we walked into the VIP, they looked at us and were like, how did you get here? And we raised our VIP band went with this and they go, you have a VIP ticket. I was like, yes. And they go, are you connected to one of the cars? No. Oh, are you sponsoring the event? No. How did you get a VIP badge? I'm like, well, we we bought it off the website. And they go, they sell them on the website. <laughs> yeah, we bought them. And they're like, huh? No one's ever done that before. I was like, oh. Dirt track fans are not super sophisticated, by the way. Yeah, they were shocked. And what was crazy is everyone knew each other in the VIP box, and they'd brought food for themselves. Not bad snack, like food, real food, and champagne that they were planning on making mimosas with their friends with. And they said, well, I suppose you can help yourself to anything you want. And we said, well, thank you. That would be great. And then we started eating amazing food and drinking champagne for free. That was easily more than the ticket we paid for and hanging out with these incredible people who didn't have a seat for us. So they brought in a sofa and we're like, sit on the sofa. And so we had a sofa and we watched through the window to see the whole thing. And you know, the track, the, the races are happening like every 15 minutes, but there's like, 10 minutes of racing, five minutes off or whatever, maybe reversed. So you're just hanging out in the room a lot. And everyone in the room is wealthy. Everyone. And you're hanging out with them for four or five hours. And invariably they go, so what do you do for a living that you can afford VIP? You know, it's like, I don't know, $200 is tough to come by nowadays. Um, and and you what do you guys do? And before you know it, 
you're networking with 20 successful business owners who can afford, as you said, the very expensive hobby of, you know, racetracks. One of the guys had access to uh, an online video community for races, and he's the one that built the whole network that streams it. And he was, they have 2 million eyeballs on these racetracks. I race. Yeah, 2 million eyeballs. And they have ad packages and they don't know how to sell them. So often, no one buys the advertising to 2 million targeted buyers that like car racing. I'm not 100% sure what I would want to sell to them, but it gives you an idea. If you wanted to get 2 million eyeballs, you could probably get it for 700 bucks. I'm just, you know, to put that out there because these people have built private ad networks and have no idea what to do with it. And he said to me, you know, if you want a percentage of the company, you can come on board and, and help us work this out. And I was like, this is so tempting. Also, I don't know if I want uh, another side project right now, but it gives you an idea that there are so many amazing opportunities if you're willing to jump into a hobby that is typically only enjoyed by the, those who are successful. Well, I would also say, yeah, I would say that, you know, you're who you surround yourself with, you know, your network is your net worth, right? And it's, uh, to some people that might sound shallow, but it's, it's not shallow at all. It's true. If you have goals, desires, dreams of who you want to be and who you see yourself becoming, you have to surround yourself with people that can support that, that lifestyle. Uh, so I, I sent out, uh, questionnaires to all of my close friends and wanted to know their household income. And, and I eliminated about 70% of my friends group, just cut them off, lose my phone number. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. But uh, no, it's true. You got to you got to put yourself in the position and in the situation where you're around people that can uh, afford the kind of things that you're trying to do. I love that. I know it's so great. So you've made the first sale through the network. You bought a nice car and you made the first sale. Or just so you guys know, you borrowed the nice car from a friend to give you an idea. It doesn't have to cost money. If there's an event that they're not going to and they have a car, you could rent their car for a day for a couple of hundred bucks. And now you just got yourself a ticket. Right. So, and then when someone says, oh, can I see your car? You go, add to buddies. He always lets me use it to come to events because I like the cars and he doesn't. He just likes driving a nice car, right? We're parking in his driveway. So you can get a really cool story that works for you. How do you ask for the referral? You don't. So you don't ask for referrals. And that's getting back to what I said, where it's about building real relationships. Because when you build true, authentic relationships, it's like you and I, you know, building a friendship if somebody comes to me and they have a need for something that's a product you have, naturally, I'm going to send them to you or I'm going to tell you, hey, Adam, I think you need to connect with this guy. Uh, and that's real, authentic, true relationships. I can put my trust behind that where when you're looking for the referral, you're asking for the referral. There's no element of trust established yet. I love that. I think that's so powerful. And I think this is the key thing that people miss in sales. There's push sales and there's pull sales. Push sales is where you're going out there and you're pushing yourself out to everyone you can. Hey, buy my stuff. Hey, let me help you. Hey, I'm amazing. Listen to me. This is great. Pull sales is where you just reach out and you just make friends with very, very targeted people that could potentially want your services or their clients are people that could want your services. And if you connect with somebody who's got a 30,000 person client list, uh, this actually happened to us on our, we have a, a mastermind we do on a cruise ship and there were two people sitting next to each other who knew each other. And we spoke about the power of just asking someone, would you be willing to promote my services in return for a fee? And they knew each other. And so the first person turned around to the other one and went, yeah, we've known each other a long time. Would you be willing to promote my services? And they go, I don't think you'd think my people would be interested. She goes, are you kidding me? Your exact audience of past customers is my perfect clientele. He's like, why didn't you ask me before? And she's like, I didn't think you'd say yes. He goes, I didn't think you wanted them. Imagine that they were brother and sister, just to put this in perspective. 
So imagine knowing somebody your entire life, having one person, one sibling, who has every customer you could ever need. The other person has a service that they're looking for more customers, and they have never thought to cross-promote their companies with each other. For, I mean, their brother or sister, they don't even want a fee, but for, for normal people, a fee would be nice to do it. And that is such a powerful friend to make that when the friend is such a good friend that this isn't an ask, this isn't, heck yeah, whatever you need, it becomes an absolute no-brainer, right? Um, and you know, I'll, I'll give an example of something I assume me and Dustin are gonna do one day, we just haven't done it yet. Um, Dustin's got a really cool boat, we don't have a boat, but I do have a fiance who's obsessed with water and kids that like going out on the lake, but we don't have a boat. And so it would be a no-brainer for Dustin to be like, hey, do you and your family wanna come out on the boat? And we, he's kind of already half offered it, and we'd be like, yes. And then I expect that at the end of that, while we're out having fun, it's an awesome day, Dustin said to me, hey, would you be down to maybe make a little post on social media, showing the day that we're having, you know, just kind of validating the fact we actually know each other and just casually mention what I do. Just, just like that, would that be cool? I don't know a person that let me take thousands of dollars worth of time, go out on a boat with my kids for the best day of their life. Of course, of course we can do that. We'll film it right here on the boat. Let's do it right now. It's a no brainer to ask for that in return. And even if I didn't feel comfortable, even if I said, you know what? I don't feel comfortable this time because I'm sweaty and I'm smelling everything, but why don't we set a date? And why don't we actually do this? We'll go for lunch, we'll set it up right now and we'll make it happen, right? It's a no brainer. And that's a really good example of leading with value to a friend where you go out of the way and give them something they couldn't possibly get on their own and then asking something so small in return, just a tiny little shout out or just a acknowledgement of who you are and what you do on your network just to see if anyone's interested. Yeah, I think that's powerful. Also thinking about, uh, thinking about just asking, right? Yeah. Taking the time to ask, and that could go f for your clients, your past clients, things like that too, because a lot of times people automatically assume, well, I, I didn't know you needed it. I didn't, I, I thought, you know, you're doing fine. Like everything's great. You don't need anything from me. That's their assumption, right? But in reality, we can all use a referral. We can always use that for, uh, to help sell future jobs, but also just to help build our network, right? Dude, I think it's so powerful, yeah. One of my favorite things, if you want to ask in like a non-ask way, because I agree asking can be weird, the non-ask way to ask is, hey, do you know anyone that would be interested in what we do? Just curious. And they're like, yeah, whole bunch of people. Let's say, okay, great, I just, I just wanted to check. I wouldn't want to impose and ask you to you know, reach out to refer me or anything. I just wondered if you even knew people, just trying to get a feel for you know, how big the audience is in this area or you know, how big it is. And then when I say to you, would you want me to, <laughs> to reach out to them? Say, if you wouldn't mind, heck, I'd, I'd give you this if we can do it. You know, I'll give you a fee or I'll give you a finder's fee or you know, whatever it is. And that becomes a no-brainer referral because you're just asking if they know someone, not would they refer you. I'm waiting for them to offer to refer. And then if they don't do that the first time, hang out with them a few more times. And then be like, hey, those people you know this, that you think might be interested in what we do, what would I have to give you in order to get you to reach out to five of them and just give me a personal introduction? What would you want in return? And that's where they may be like, nothing. Or they may be like, give me a grand for each introduction. And again, if, you're, if what you're selling is expensive, a grand for an introduction is, is not bad. You know, it's really not that bad. Yeah, the other thing that's really important, I think, is protecting the, uh, the referrals that you have or the relationships that you already have. I'll give you guys a good example. So I'm recently finishing up a project in Westlake here, and I had a cabinet guy that uh, 
basically stumbled on the job at the end. The quality was not there, left a bunch of stuff unfinished. Uh, we were combating with him on how we were going to get this stuff finished. The guy ended up bailing out of the state. So he's fled back to lovely California. Uh, so I had to bring in another cabinet shop to finish the job. And it's cost me, um, I'm at about 40 grand right now out of pocket, out of my own money. That's my own bottom line. But to me, the, the relationship with the client is far more important than that $40,000 because this is a, a relationship that we've been building for a year and a half. And that relationship will pay tenfold over the next 10 years if I take care of it. So you have to put the relationship before the dollar. I, I actually love that one. We fired a client two days ago. And uh, I think it's really important to talk about like referrals come from positive experiences, but what will kill a referral is someone who knows you and has a negative experience. <clears throat> so we always try to reduce negative experiences. So this client, we came on board, we worked with them, they paid their fee, and we outlined what we believe would generate them half a million dollars of strategy. We showed them how to do it. And after a few weeks, we're getting ready for us to implement this for them, which is the next phase. And they said to us, um, we don't like what you've come up with. We don't agree with it. We don't like it. And after second thoughts, we feel we could have come up with that ourselves. Now, what I love about this when someone says that, you feel the idea is so good, so simple, and so well done, you should have thought of it. Even though you didn't, but you are no longer happy with us because you feel you should have done this even though you didn't and couldn't. And so, you know, we had already made the decision because of that phrase, they were getting a full refund. And so, you know, we end up talking to them and we're like, look, you know what? You're getting a refund, they're like, good, that's what we want. And we go, great, no problem whatsoever. We do this to close the door on bad experiences. So I want you to imagine the bad things they're gonna say. <laughs> yeah, we hired those guys. Everything they did was something we could have done. We weren't impressed with the results and then they gave us our money back. Exactly. Sounds great. It's like, you know, I, I could imagine someone who's rational listening go, wait, so they did all the work. You feel you could have done it, but didn't do it. You didn't like it. And then they gave you your money back. It's like, yep, assholes, right? It's like, how, how can you, how is that a bad thing? And so I, this is like number one most important thing. The minute you have a customer that looks like they're gonna be a, a trouble, instantly, give them a refund, thank you, no thank you. Don't fight them over the money, just, it's all cool, thank you so much. I'm so sorry this didn't work out, we'll see you later, have a great day, no hard feelings, we'll never work with you again, the end. Specifically so, if somebody has us in common on their network and they reach out and say, hey, what did you think of this? The, the bad feedback can only be, I got a refund, right? That, that's the only thing you want. Um, so yeah, so I, you know, I think that's also important to prevent losing referrals. Well, we live in a, uh, we live in a society where obviously we have you know, human implementation on a lot of things, right? So there's margin for error always across the board in everything we do. Uh, to expect that things will always go perfect is, is you know, irrational, right? So how you handle every situation when something does go wrong is exactly like he said, that's how you're protecting that referral, right? Somebody can say, well, this, this went sideways, this went sideways, but I'll be damned if they didn't make it right. And they work their ass off to make it right. Yep. So at the end of the day, you still got that good positive referral. I love that. And that does that also, if you met them through someone protects that relationship of a happy customer. So they'd have no problem referring you again, uh, especially if you paid them something for that introduction, you lost all the money and now you're out of pocket. But your, your friend might even say, do you want the money back you gave me? I'm like, nope, they weren't happy. Maybe it was something we did. We don't think it was, but maybe it was. You shouldn't miss out. You did your job. You gave us a real client. Thank you. And it makes them go, well, they'll probably instantly be like, let me get you another one. 
right? Because they instantly want to repay that. And this is the difference between operating from scarcity. I need sales. I need money. I know what I'm worth and value. They did a good job. They're amazing at what they do. I would have paid them more. Actually, I had this discussion uh, with somebody earlier uh, who's in the room. And, uh, you know, he said, everyone loved what I did at this price. And they said they would have paid this much higher price. So I shifted my sales number to the higher price, but now I can't make sales. And this is the, what I call, you know, it's, Grant Cardone has this, but it's a really important value. It's the value of 10x. You should be charging 10x less than what they think the value is. So if they say to you, this value is $100,000, you charge 10 grand. That is the no-brainer price. And if someone comes back to you and says, I would have paid 100 grand for this, you don't go, well, then you can give me the money. No, th that makes you look so scarce. Instead, say, great. We love offering people 10x value or 3x value or whatever it is. Awesome. And that means you have nailed the price exactly right. Also, that person loves you so much, whatever you sell them next, they will buy. And you know, the next thing you sell them can be 10,000 because that's, or 100,000, because that's what they said they were willing to buy, right? 10,000 is no brainer. That's what they gave you before. 100,000, because they said they were interested. You can say to them, look, I actually have something that's 50,000. It's not the 100, it's 50, but I think it's five times better than what you got last time. Let me explain. And, and they'll listen because they genuinely said this is worth 100 grand and paying 50 to get 100. Not as good as 10 to get 100, but still a great way of doing it. Um, any, any other random little tips for getting referrals? Something you've done that you're like, this is killer for us? Uh, I think honesty and transparency in everything you do is really important. And that just goes back to protecting the relationships. I've, I've got a client actually from Northern California that reached out to me over the last couple of months and we ended up taking a project back in Northern California uh, at their request. And that was strictly because I took such good care of that relationship that they were willing to hire me from Texas because that trust has been established. So you never know when those relationships are going to come back and reward you. But I think being transparent, being honest, always be upfront with people, even if something's wrong, tell them what the problem is and how you're going to address it and just take care of that with everything you do. I'd love to, if, and if you don't want to share, I understand, but I'd love to just get some real numbers on something. You bought an exotic car and you've made two sales already. What was the cost of the car? And what was the gross value of the two sales? Just to get a comparison. So cost of the car was uh, 270K. Uh, both projects, bottom line, net will be just over 100K. Each. Total. 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 Okay, but those cool. are two projects in a six-month period. Okay. So, again, we can just math this out. That's, so, you're going to receive 100K from a $270,000 investment plus the work Correct. that was done within six months. We can assume, on average, let's, let's be really shy here and say you only get one more in the next six months. So, we're going to err on the side of negativity here. So 150 grand a year. In two years, your car paid for itself. Well, here's the other kicker to that. So that the, uh, the neighborhood that I'm doing these projects in it are a neighborhood that I would have had no other opportunity to break into. So these are, both of these projects are a little bit smaller than something that we would normally take, but it's putting me into a, a demographic, into a neighborhood where there's a ton of wealthy people doing renovations, building new homes, uh, a lot of movie stars, athletes, things like that in there. So it's now, that car is now not only starting to pay for itself, it's gained me access to the next level. I love this. And uh, I, I wanna share with you guys uh, some silly marketing tactics that I would suggest to, you don't have to use them, but this is what I would do. If you're disrupting an area 
of people that get no benefit from your work. So construction is a good example of that, uh, road works. Um, and there are other things like if you're you know, cleaning a car and making a mess. I find one of the best marketing tactics you can do is have a little stand, a little sign, that's the name of your company. And you know, everyone has like, we apologize for any inconvenience. Or we apologize for the, you know, the unsightly nature. I would have that, but I would borrow from uh, one of my favorite hotels, which is Doubletree. And if you go into a Doubletree, they give you a free cookie. The whole idea is that when you walk into the lobby, it smells like cookies. And I would absolutely have cookies available. I'd be like, we apologize for, you know, for any inconvenience or unsightly nature that while we're doing this work, we're building somebody's dream home. Um, as an apology, if you reach out to the foreman, uh, come and say hi, uh, we'll give you some cookies uh, to take home to the kids and to apologize for what's going on. The passive referral from that going on from every day of an advert that is an apology that is typically put up, but adding a simple call to action to come and get cookies, especially if you aim them at children, because the Doubletree mostly gives the cookies to the children, because the children, when given a choice of what hotel, are gonna go, can we go to the hotel with the cookies? And that's the kicker that ensures that a single sale at Doubletree ends up with lots of sales to the Doubletree, because every other hotel they go to does not come with cookies. And the kind of people that bring children to a Doubletree hotel are families, and they typically have more wealth. Likewise, anyone who comes, talks to the foreman to get cookies, they're not really there for cookies. They're there because they want an excuse to talk to the foreman about the dream home, which is the other element to that advert. So I, I wanna remind everyone, there are so many passive tools that you use daily that you have failed to put an advert on. For example, the signature of your emails. The signature of your emails should not just be a link to your website. You should have a little sales page down there. So it should be, we provide a benefit to B avatar so they can get C deeper result. You can put that at the bottom of every single email you ever send out. If somebody forwards that email to somebody, the next thing you know, they're seeing that little advert at the bottom of every signature to every person you ever send something out. You can put signatures in text messages. You can put signatures in so many different things. If you're not turning your signature into a call to actual call to action, uh, you know, mini ad, again, you're missing out on some of the most targeted revenue that is free. Um, so something to, to think about. All right, I love it. Thanks. Any, any questions from the audience? Anyone here want to ask a question? It's totally fine. Yep. Go for it. Still next to me, you said earlier when you were able to either remotely upset customer or just give a refund. Did you offer that as a guarantee or do you wait until there's a potentially the issue that you just move? Yeah, so I'll tackle this one. In my ideal world, the minute there's an issue, we would refund them and move them on. The reality is the company is so large, the one that we have, what will typically happen is I won't see the first issue. I'll see maybe the third or fourth, and then I'll bring that up to, to the salespeople in the company because they're going to lose commission. And sales team will typically say, I know this person's trouble, but I think everything's going to be okay. And I would say... 30% of the time, we should have just got rid of them instantly. 30% of the time, that person actually becomes one of our best customers. And 30% of the time, it's kind of hard to see what's going to happen. Maybe they complain later on. But the longer you're taking money from them and the longer they are somewhat upset with what's happening, they're not going to want to refund for the last payment. They're going to want to refund for every payment they've ever made to every program they've ever done with you. Um, and we actually, we had this situation once, and this is like learning from experience. We had a client, we had evidence, testimonials and reviews that all the programs they'd bought from us, they loved except one. And the one program they didn't love, we gave them a full refund. And it was a massive amount of money. Like, you know what? You don't like it. No problem. Here's a full refund. 
And they go, well, I looked at my bank statement and I've actually paid you this much money. I want a refund for all of it. And we had to say, that's not how this works. These are individual transactions. And this was like a four hour argument trying to get them to understand they can't do a blanket refund on things from five years ago. When we have written evidence that they loved it. I was like, you won't even, no, no bank will honor this. Like no one's gonna honor this. I was like, that work has been done, paid for, completed. You were satisfied with it. It's why we did everything, you know? And gifting you the final refund of the final project, um, like, you know, that sucked, but we did it because we wanted to honor that. And they could not understand it. Like, so there were sadly not enough signs early on to make action on that one. But I think often, what could we have seen earlier that would have given us the heads up on this? But then you got the flip side that, you know, we were funded an amount of money, but two thirds of the money was non-refundable because it had been finished, completed, and they loved it. So how do you handle that situation? That was a tough one. We, we had to put our line in the sand there. And for us, this was a, would a bank, the FTC, and a lawyer agree with us? And that's what it came down to. You know, we actually called advice and we we're like, are we right to put a line in the sand here? And, you know, we hit him back with what you're now attempting is fraud and theft. I was like, so you have a very strong claim on this. So strong, we're not even going to fight it. We're just giving it to you. That's us being kind. This other stuff, what you're attempting, blackmail, fraud, uh, fraud um, you know, theft, this is all illegal, what you're attempting. And I was like, and if you try to go for this, A, we know we'll win. B, we will counter sue and we will, we will bring criminal charges. And that was, that was the thing that, that stopped it. But we have no way of knowing if this person isn't going around telling everyone, this person threatened to take me to prison. You know, like we have no idea. But that was one of those we had to draw a line in the sand because, I mean, it would have been six figures. So I want to say thank you so much. If people wanted to learn more about you or, you know, learn more about the homes, where's the best place to find you? Yeah, so Dustin Baxter, uh, all social media platforms. Precision Builders Texas is our company name. You can find us across all social media platforms as well. But uh, thanks for having me, Adam. Dude, thank you so much for being here. And thank you all for tuning in once again to Smart Businesses Do This. Now, if you're new to the podcast and you want to learn more about how to build a smart business, then the absolute best place to start is with my Smart Blueprint ebook. Over 10,000 people have already gone through the book, and it's one of the most comprehensive resources on strategically building and growing your business that you can find anywhere for free. Just visit thesmartblueprint.com forward slash ebook to grab a free copy. And I'll see you on the next episode of Smart Businesses Do This.